0: Welcome to Educator Well-Being from Principles to Practice, a podcast brought to you by Utah First Lady Abby Cox and Western Governors University Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the School of Education, Dr. Stacy Ludwig-Johnson, facilitated by Marty Carpenter of Northbound Strategy. This limited series focuses on supporting teachers nationwide by providing strategies and resources to help educators thrive. You can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and video of each episode is available on WGU's YouTube channel.
1: Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. We're joined today by Utah's First Lady, Abby Cox, and Western Governors University's Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the School of Education, Dr. Stacy Ludwig Johnson. We're also joined today remotely by Rachel Black. Rachel is a 2016 graduate of the WGU School of Education. She's the first in her family to complete high school, in addition to being the first to earn a bachelor's degree. She's also an award-winning STEM teacher, recognized for her consistent innovation. Notably, Rachel has experienced both rural and more urban classrooms, and today she's going to be sharing insights from her experience and how that can help us understand and work toward meeting the needs of rural educators. Let's start. As always, first question to the first lady, a North Sand Pete Hawk. That's a rural school, I would say, here in Utah. So tell us, let's do a little definition of terms first. What makes a rural school, and then what makes it different from an urban
2: school? Um, it's probably if you if you have to ask if it's rural, you probably don't know. So we'll just <laughs> <laughs> tell you. But, you know, it really there's there's a lot of different criteria that, that people use. But but honestly, it's it's, you know, proximity to the urban centers. It's, um, you know, geographical d- you know areas and um, really just um, how how far away you are from and and how you know the population centers and the smaller populations. Um, most of our rural areas are farming communities or have been in the past, um, and so you know that's that's kind of where we where we sit in in Utah. Um, most of our, the population centers right in, in, in a small geographic area, and really the majority of the state is rural, um, even though our population center is where the majority of our of our students reside.
1: I think sometimes when we think about rural schools, we think about them being smaller. That can be the case, but it's not always the case because sometimes it's the high school that draws students from around a larger area so a lot of different challenges that come with a rural school
2: yeah and in, and in Utah again too uh, there's a lot of these smaller towns that like mine when I at where I grew up we I lived in a town of about 3,000 people um, but our school encompassed our high school encompassed many of the small towns around so we we ended up sort of being a mid-sized school high school you know, when I was there, it was 2A, you know, the classifications, now it's 3A. Um, so it just depends on, on you know, a lot of times they come together. A lot of times if it's really spread out, there's there's one or two towns or maybe just one town that goes to one high school. And sometimes, you know, in Utah, we, we see uh, high schools where there's a graduating class of like 10 or 11 people. Yeah. Um, and that is extremely rural. Yeah,
1: you live, grew up in a town of 3,000 people. I went to a high school of 3,000 yes. people. <laughs> Stacy, did you hear did you, big school or little school big for school,
3: you? Um, I think there were 1,500 and we were the farmers, but we weren't We weren't really <laughs> so, <laughs> rural. Um, but, that's a uh, rural mascot. A, yes, <laughs> it was. So.
1: Hawks, not so much. Hawks could it, be anywhere, but yeah, farmers, yeah. that's farmers, what North San Pete yeah, yeah. should have been for sure. <laughs> so Stacey, you deal with schools um, and school districts nationwide. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, rural schools versus urban schools. How are r- r- rural schools performing?
3: Yeah, so there was an article that was written um, by the Department of Education just a couple of years ago, and I wanna get the title right, but it was called um, Challenges Facing Schools in Rural America. Um, So that's a pretty good read um, if you're interested in sort of rural K-12 education. But um, one of the things that I thought was interesting in that article, and and you've probably experienced this, um, Abby, and certainly Rachel, but that the graduation rates um, in rural schools are actually quite good, um, and that low-income students in in those areas generally fare pretty well. Um, But the overall sort of gaps, um, there's a lot of gaps to still fill. Um, One of the things, you know, we I live in Colorado, so very similar. Which it always surprises me. We were just speaking. I think there's 178 districts or something in Colorado, and 130 are rural. I might; those are pretty close to numbers. But it always surprises me because I live near, you know, like 10 miles west of Denver, and I forget, you know, until you're out, sort of, on the road, um, what rural looks like. But. one thing that i think as some of the challenges that we have um, in the rural schools especially as we've been sort of connecting because we're really making an effort um, particularly um, many institutions that deliver online education because one of the challenges is you know how do you Identify and sort of grow your own teachers from that particular community Um, and Certainly with the internet that's really nice because we can sort of take educator preparation out to those communities Which is nice, but at the same time sometimes they also have Technology and access and internet access issues, which so that can sort of be a balancing act Um, but Certainly what we hear from superintendents and we hear from school principals um, Is really the challenge in recruiting teachers to that area? So Obviously sort of that grow your own is one way of sort of keeping people in the community Um, because one thing that we've uh, Certainly know is when when kids leave to go to school um, They oftentimes don't return and um, there's even some data around Most uh, teachers who are educated in sort of a traditional brick and mortar school oftentimes don't go beyond 29 miles after they've done their education there. So that can be something that's certainly a challenge but also retaining teachers Um, and these are the things we've talked about I think on the last couple of podcasts Uh, I think one of the biggest challenges um, which. Particularly impacts the students in rural areas is that we oftentimes find that the educators the teachers in rural areas um, tend to be most underprepared in stem and special education and when we think about Sort of the pathways to opportunity for this the k-12 students in those same districts if your teachers um, are not they don't have the advanced training in STEM or they're um, underprepared in those areas. That actually is creating challenges for opportunities for those, those high school um, students. We were talking about that a little bit earlier, Rachel, but um, the impact that teachers that are underprepared in those areas can have on the broader community um, and those students. Yeah.
1: Rachel, I wanna bring you in and get your reaction to everything that uh, Stacy just said, <laughs> but first I wanna know, did you go to an urban high school or a rural high school?
4: Right. I actually went to the same high school my mom went to, uh, which says a lot. But within between freshman year and senior year, uh, it, there was so much growth, but I ended up at a 5A district school uh, with 865 graduating students my senior year.
1: Wow, big school. Uh, any thoughts on just sort of the general challenges that rural schools can can face? That maybe, if you grew up in an urban school district and went to a big high school, that uh, that maybe you don't think about.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that a lot of the challenges have been touched on. Um, everything from funding, time management, collaboration, and communities of practice. Um, there's many, many challenges. Uh, lots of pros as well. <laughs> but there's a lot of different challenges that rural school communities see uh, that urban and suburban school districts just don't don't have to, to see as much.
1: Yeah, we talk about showing up for teachers. This is a big initiative for you, uh, Abby, but how does that play into when you're dealing with teachers who are probably having very different experiences depending on whether they are in, you know, especially here in Utah, the urban area along the Wasatch Front or if they're out in the more rural areas?
2: Yeah, you know, um, Stacy said something interesting, very interesting. A couple of things um, that I want to touch on too is, um, first of all, this the special education piece that you talked about. Uh, special education, of course, that's my background, and so um, many of our special education teachers are not certified in these rural areas because they just don't have enough special education teachers to fill those positions. And so they get a paraprofessional that maybe can, they can help to try to certify or you know or get there. But a lot of them are not qualified to teach special education. So the, there's so if you put a teacher in a situation where he or she is not feeling like they have the training or the the skills or techniques that they need to be successful, that's going to be a detriment on mental health. Um, there's there's also this. I, it's really an interesting thing. If you haven't lived in a rural area, you, uh, let me just help you understand <laughs> what it what it's like. Because um, a teacher in a rural school is not just a teacher. A teacher in a rural school is in somebody's congregation. is some, is is part of the community in lots of other ways. So that can be really great if if you're building this really great community. It can also be really tough when. You know, there's a there's a parent group or somebody that, that's coming and and complaining to the school district or to the school, and they're the same people I go to church with.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: You know, or they're the same people that I see at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, this teacher, you know, for her or his mental health. Um, you're going to need a really supportive community around you, and that includes making sure that you have the skills and techniques in your job, it, it, that you have the the skills to have a really tough conversation with a parent to help them understand your point of view and and what you're trying to accomplish with their child. You know, building those partnerships with somebody that you know you grew up with, uh, maybe since I mean my husband, who's the governor, he. You know, we go back home, and I mean, they know him since he's been in diapers. So they, you know, it's <laughs>
1: they're not impressed. They're not
2: impressed. <laughs> You're never a prophet in your own country. So, That's right. like, they, so there's this this added um, sort of pressure, but also the opportunity to have a really unique community around you, um, if it's if it's done well, and if and if you understand it. Uh, and, and the ways in the way it works, but it's incumbent upon all, us as educators, as educator advocates, to make sure that those teachers have the skills that they need to be able to be successful. That they understand that they're not only are they participating in the community at large, but they need to understand how to participate in a community within their school in order to elevate mental health and to feel supported, to feel like they all are together on a common purpose. There uh, uh, to the points being made, these. These kids um, in rural school district come come they come with some really unique set of challenges. Uh, you know, there's a, we were talking earlier about some of the the worst um, hit areas are are our, our, our rural areas for drug and opioid issues for fentanyl issues. I mean, we think about that on the streets of our most urban yeah. places, but we, but really, I mean, some of those those companies are really targeting. Places you know specifically in utah there's places where in my area is one of those that I grew up in where um you see uh, mining towns or, or places like that that were hit by these opioids or and now you know fentanyl is coming in. and so you're coming with you know kids that have had parents that are incarcerated, kids that have you know, that are being raised by grandparents um, and grandparents need that support. So it's a whole set of challenges that we need to make sure we're addressing so that our teachers have the benefit of, of moving this work forward in the best possible ways.
1: Yeah. Stacey, tell us a little bit about how I mean what you're describing there is like there's some really good things I'm hearing about growing up in a rural district there's a sense of community there's a closeness with a teacher teacher can be not just someone who like in your mind only exists in the school but you see him or her out in the community but there are some drawbacks as well just by being more removed from sort of where a lot of policies are usually made in education for a state so I'm wondering like as you've got something like The internet right and now we can have online education. Are there ways you can take things that were previously Inaccessible for rural students and make them accessible because of the technological advances.
3: I I think you can I think what's interesting um, That I hadn't really thought about until we sort of started talking today is is sort of this uh, if you see more grandparents as an example that are raising Raising these these kids because maybe there's more single parent families or whatnot, but then it Becomes sort of incumbent on them to have the technology skills to use the technology to access the resources So so what we like to think is oh, we're solving so much of this by having online learning but there's very real barriers to that access and one thing that I was thinking about um, as Abby was talking about the rural communities I grew up in 4-h and sort of more rural Colorado, but I when I would visit my friends who were living on ranches or farms, like they would have to drive hours yeah. to go to school, which was shocking to me because I couldn't imagine getting on a bus at like five in the morning and riding a bus for an hour to go to school or, or whatnot. And so there's like one of those, which is like the community um being very familiar with you and maybe very close and then maybe the flip of that which is not having much of a community so um, that's I, you know when you think about what resources we have available and that can ongoing professional development for teachers and I think one of the other things my um, my aunt was a was a rural school teacher but what she she had now this was a long time ago but a very small school she had to teach everyone from like first grade to 12th grade but she played so many roles mm. in that school um that uh so i think there's there's resource challenges there too in terms of funding and um you know that's like the internet doesn't solve it technology doesn't solve it because there's also technology challenges so
1: yeah we got a lot of great expertise yeah. on the panel, so I want to open this up to anyone and everyone <laughs> who wants to jump in. But we talk a lot about mental health in this podcast and how to help teachers thrive. What's a piece of advice that you would want for um, your fellow educators or educators to understand about preserving their mental health related to this topic?
2: I mean, I I guess for me, it's um, creating that community of, of connection, Within your school, within your with your colleagues, um, our our show up for for teachers conference this next year is going to be all about that. It's going to be thriving through connection. It's going to be making sure that we're making these great connections with our colleagues at, in the school, so that we're creating a community that lifts each other up. I think teachers, especially, I would say, in the elementary age um, of teaching, I, I feel like they feel quite isolated and i mean teaching is kind of an isolated place because you you know away from your colleagues because you're in your classroom with your students and 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 so it's not like sort of an office experience where you're sort of collaborating all the time so i think being intentional about creating that environment where where you feel a sense of, of belonging, where you have a sense of community within, within your school, and that you're all moving in the same direction as far as, um, we all have the same mission and vision for these students, we have the same mission and vision for how we interact as a community in the school and how we interact with the community at large, you know, how are we engaging with parents? How are we engaging positively? How are we making sure that, you know, as a superintendent and a, as a as a principal, what are we doing to make sure that the community knows what we're doing in school so that, you know, when they hear something crazy on the news in another state and all of a sudden you have parents sort of accusing <laughs> you of doing that particular thing in your school? you know, what kind of outreach do you have? What kind of relationships do you already have in place with the community to say, come on in, um, come visit my classroom, come see what I'm doing. You know me, we go to church together. You know me, I've seen you at the grocery store 15 Mm -hmm. times. Like we're good friends, just come talk to me and I'll tell you what's going on in the school. So I'm not, so crazy things aren't happening.
1: (laughs) Or or ask me nicely at the grocery store, ask me nicely (laughs) at church if you feel like you've got the right window there. Um, Anything you want to jump in on there?
3: I, I was actually excited to sort of hear what Rachel had to say because I, I, you know, when we, I I have sort of that whole standard answer of just uh, creating a sense of community and a a sense of community of practice in the school. But I think that's me from the outside looking in um, and how I think one, one thing that we've heard from first year teachers is even just. That first year experience and sort of getting connected with the culture of a school um, and your colleagues within the school and creating that sort of that sharing, that sense of belonging um, and the ability to share those experiences is important. But I think, Rachel, it would be really interesting to hear what you have to say about that, because for me, it's again, I'm always looking from the outside in um, and, and what your experience was like um uh, and is continuing to be like um, trying to create that sense of connection so
4: yeah uh from me from my standpoint uh we have created our own professional learning community uh, within our own schools um and that can be subject specific or it can be grade level specific or it could be school specific dependent upon the population of the school and how many uh, staff members you have um, creating your own professional learning community helps to um, give equity and uh, autonomy, but also ensures that we're, we're pulling in everybody's expertise, we're pulling in uh, everybody's experiences, and we're learning from them equally, uh, all in the pursuit of just being a better educator for our students. Um, and then we take those professional learning communities and we kind of elevate them into something called advisory teams. Um, Advisory teams are where we bring in community members from our community, from communities outside of ours, and then we ask them for their expertise. What do you want to see our students learn? Um, What do you need to see in future employees? Uh, What are some of the things that you're not seeing? What are some things, some gaps that we can can make up uh, as educators, and I think, having uh, that communication open between the community stakeholders and parent stakeholders and teachers and students all together uh, really is what creates that successful uh, pathway beyond high school or beyond K through 12, ensuring that we're able to bring back some of those students who go off to college to brick and mortar colleges or, um, or bring people in that haven't been into those rural communities as well. Uh, those professional learning communities and advisory teams are really great resources just to ensure that everybody has a say. And uh, as Ms. Cox was saying, uh, just ensure that we create those relationships within the community and with the students, letting people know who we are. That our goal here really is a positive one uh, for our students and ensuring that they are capable and that they are uh, provided the tools to be successful in our communities.
1: Rachel, uh, we've talked a little bit about like self-reflection kind of a, a little bit of, and how you look at uh, your relationship in the community as a teacher, particularly in a rural rural school. Um, are there any, like, give us some practical advice here for the teachers watching this. Uh, are there any anything that you would want to leave with them when it comes to, like, self-awareness or understanding, like, how they fit in to that community? Uh, anything along those lines you'd like to share? Yeah,
4: absolutely. I think um, a large part of our teacher burnout situation is really uh, it, it attests to the fact that as a rural educator, we have a lot on our plates. Uh, as, as the ladies have mentioned before, we could be teaching one subject matter many subject matters. Uh, we could be a counselor and an educator. Uh, and so I think it's really important just to remember that we're human uh, and that we all have that plate, uh, like the Thanksgiving plate, for example. We can only put so much on there before it just kind of falls apart. And so you want to make sure that you're taking time uh, to really just prioritize what is non-negotiable, uh, what is negotiable, and what can be put off on the side for now. Um, take care of your own mental well wellness and uh, and ensure that you're still getting those tasks completed, uh, but in in a way that works best for you.
1: So we kind of go from stand up for teachers to teachers stand up for yourselves when you say negotiable, Mm -hmm. -negotiable. Mm non-negotiable. Stacey, what else would you suggest when it comes to that self-advocacy?
3: Well, I, I think I really love what Rachel was talking about, sort of creating that sense of that community and that connection and that ability To share that really heavy weight to sort of share that in a way with the community or the advisory groups Um, I think too that that ability to continue with the ongoing sort of professional development Which again we get back to some access issues there Um, There are some really great resources that are available at no cost for teachers. You can look for open educational resources Um, There is a platform called oer commons dot org is an interesting place that's one you can look at there's just tons of resources that are available but i think having just the resources without the sort of uh community to sort of connect and discuss and apply it to your daily teaching work (laughs) um i think it's just it's not quite as good so i think that that creating that sense of community is so important so i loved hearing you you talk about that rachel because that is it's another it's another thing that you add to your plate but once you sort of foster those connections hopefully that sort of like brings the community in to help you with the extra weight i think too so
1: community is a word we keep hearing so um no stranger (laughs) to being engaged in the community it's kind of your full-time job at this point um any any tips you want to give there on uh, helping our educators um apply community engagement to their benefit
2: yeah you know, I, I was thinking about my experience as a, growing up in a rural area and going to a rural school, and i will I will say, you know, the community is is everything. Um, you know, I was so grateful to be um, a part of a community and a part of a, a small school where I could play basketball. I could be on the debate team. We could you could be in the school musical. You could do all <laughs> the things um, because that's you know those are the opportunities that are there. You, you know, my kids they were Sterling Scholars and they were you know all these you know had all these opportunities to do things like that. Um, so I think I would also say. Appreciate your community as a rural teacher. Um, Appreciate the 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 amazing opportunities that the the kids have, but also appreciate the fact that you can be a really powerful mentor for a child in your school. Probably more so than than a giant school. I mean that. They know you. They know they. They have uh, interactions, like I said, outside of the school setting. You, you, you're probably the coach. You're probably the, you know, the the youth leader at church. You're probably, you know, you like Rachel said. You you wear many hats in the community, and because of that, you are uniquely positioned to have a, a profound influence on a student in their lives i mean i was profoundly impacted by teachers in my school there was a there was a teacher who was an english teacher he was the humanities teacher he was the he was the choir director i was in choir i mean he was he was the French teacher <laughs> um, in our high school, and I can't tell you how many lives he changed. I mean, thousands and thousands of lives. Uh, for, for kids who went to a school, most of their parents, I would say, did not go to college, and he had a PhD and he was, and he was teaching at North St. Pete High School. Uh, he had a profound impact on me, my husband, his brother who was a counselor and actually took his place at North St. as the English teacher there. So, I mean, I just think just be grateful and be looking around to see that you actually can have the biggest impact possible being in a rural school. I
1: think that's a really interesting point because maybe just in my mind as we've had this discussion, I'm thinking about someone who grew up in a rural area and then becomes a teacher there or an administrator there. But what about someone who comes from outside to a rural community where you're, you're the new person in town and you're the teacher. I imagine that that makes community that much more of an emphasis that you have to go become part of that community.
2: And, and you do have to put in an effort. I will say, you know, my parents moved to our little small town of Mount Pleasant, Utah, uh, prior to me being born. Um, so in 1974, they are still considered move-ins because they haven't been there like <laughs> seven generations. Right. So when you are coming from uh, from the outside when you are coming to a school that you didn't grow up in or a community you did you weren't a part of growing up it, it does take a little extra effort to be a part of the community um, because there is that sort of uh, you know kind of side eye to people that are that are coming that are new <laughs> I'm just putting it out there it's true but but then you you do get embraced by this beautiful community and I think once you feel feel that you understand how how great it is and and what an impact it has on people
1: not a lot of situations where you can be 50 years in and still be the new kid <laughs> on the so block true. that's for sure all right we're gonna get to some final thoughts i want to give everybody a chance rachel let's start with you just final thoughts on this topic that we've been covering today
4: i my final thoughts my takeaways are that we're not alone Uh, even though we may feel like we're further out than these urban teachers and suburban teachers we're not Uh, there's a huge community out here ready to help us Um, we want to make sure that we're prioritizing and not not being overwhelmed Uh, that we're making good use of our professional learning communities that we have created for ourselves and that we're involving uh, community members in the decisions that we're making Uh, and as the first lady said we do want to make sure that we get out and uh, become part of that community we want to make sure that we're being seen uh, as sports activities uh plays things like that as well and supporting our students on all levels is very important
1: all right stacy we'll turn to you for your final thoughts
3: It's hard to top that Um, I I would say it's just it's uh, What what can we do I guess I'm thinking about it from um, Being in a position where we can support rural educators. So what can we do to support with funding with policy with uh, ways in which we can help um, you know from an education provider standpoint help communities sort of identify um, the attributes of really great future teachers um, what can we do to create um, our curriculum and our resources in a way that makes it more access- accessible and um, uh, and and so so that we can get it out to the to these districts that probably need it the most and are oftentimes underfunded and so how can we do that in a way Um, that meets their needs, and then wrap them in sort of our own community of care, because um, it is a large part of our public school um, student population. And I think so many times, this is what what I hear, um, is a lot of attention and energy goes to those really large um, school districts, that um, are generally near a population center, yet there's all these rural districts that sometimes are so understaffed um, that they, they actually can't take advantage of some of the resources that are available. And so I think that's upon us that are in a position where um, we can support the voice of rural school districts and of the teachers and administrators there. To ensure that we're enabling access so that's my takeaway from the conversation today is to just think about um, that profile of teacher that we need to support as we as we go forward
1: what i'm hearing today is don't go it alone right don't put the whole world on your shoulders we'll give the final word to the first lady
3: thank
2: you Uh, you know stacy i loved what you said you know how do we how do we support how do we make those connections and i will say in I, I am in a very unique position, and what I see is I, I'm talking to teachers all the time, I'm talking to rural teachers all the time, and, um, and yet I have, I have conversations and access to legislators and policymakers that are making these policies for the educators. Uh, what I'm seeing is a disconnect. I'm seeing a disconnect between our teachers and the policymakers. We had a great breakthrough moment at our conference this last summer when we gave $10 gift cards to our legislators, to to business leaders, and we said, go out and hand it to a teacher and, and ask them about their story. And I'm telling you, I had more responses from that, from legislators, from the teachers on both sides of this of this sort of divide. And they they said that was the most powerful moment of the conference for them. And so, because of that, we've actually built on this idea of how do we get uh, the policymakers, the legislators who are who are making the policies, who are affecting the, the, the school systems and the, and the teachers, and how do we get them in the same room? How do we get them talking to each other? So, two things: we are actually doing that. We're actually inviting, uh, you know, in the trenches, in the classroom, teachers. And we're having a, a meeting with our legislators prior to our legislative session, so that's going to be one thing that we're going to do. But the other thing is, we have reached out to teachers all over the state, especially our rural teachers, because they do uniquely feel isolated and and voiceless. And and so what we said, what we've been trying to do is reach out to them, and encourage them. Because we've been in the political, Marty, you've been in the political field. You understand this. You understand how powerful it is for a teacher to tell their story to a legislator. Because he, legislators are up on that hill. They're, they're hearing from the, the most well-organized, powerful, usually negative voices. They're not hearing from those teachers because they're in their classrooms teaching. Right. <laughs> and, and so the policies they feel really frustrated with that affects their mental health, they feel really frustrated that these policies are happening to them and not with them. And, and so what we've done is reached out and said, okay teachers, call your legislator, talk to your legislator, send an email, send a letter, send a text, whatever it means, whatever you can do, just really quick, we know you're busy, we know you have a lot on your plate, but it'll be really powerful to have your voice actually creating and help to create the, the policies that come down. And I think that actually gives teachers a lot of confidence in their own ability to affect change in in their community, in their world, in their school. So um, that's one powerful thing that we've, so I would encourage all teachers that are listening, Find out who your legislator is um, and and reach out to them and tell them their find out what the bills are, you know, the, the potential bills that are coming down. And 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 reach out and give your opinion about them. Ask them, you know, to change it if it's if it's not how you like it. Uh, but that that would be my th- my advice to any teacher that's listening, so that the so that helps your mental health, I promise. You're gonna feel so much better once you help create policy that affects you.
1: And I would just say don't forget inflation. So those $10 gift cards may need to be $15 this exactly. year to go so, make it. (laughs) keep keep donating
2: you know the business world needs to keep donating
1: absolutely uh rachel first lady abby cox and dr stacy Ludwig johnson thanks so much for your time today and thanks everyone for joining us today's podcast will be available to stream on demand at the wgu website wgu.edu slash educator podcast and we'll be adding these reflection questions and such from our discussion today uh, from each episode as downloadable pdfs soon so uh back to all three episodes You can go back and take a look at those and use those a bit uh, as a journal. We encourage all of you as teachers to realize that you're not alone. You're seen, you're heard, and you're valued. We invite you to tune in next month when we talk about the importance of being seen, heard, and valued. Advice for classroom teachers. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Educator Wellbeing, From Principles to Practice. This limited series is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And video of each episode is available on WGU's YouTube channel. To learn more about the School of Education at Western Governors University, visit wgu.edu backslash school of education. To learn about First Lady Abby Cox's Show Up initiative, visit showuputah.org.